HRGrapevine.com. It's the HR Grapevine podcast. Hello, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the pod. Thank you again for clicking in whatever platform you found our podcast on. Thanks for joining. You know, friends, I don't know if you're like me, but when I hear the word or the term IR35, my brow begins to furl. I get a little bit clammy. I can feel my pulse race, and sometimes my Apple Watch even goes, hey, you okay, bud? So for those of you that don't know, you probably should know, there was a huge reform to the IR35 that took effect in April of 2021. So as we are one year on, I thought it would be a good idea to see what its impact is. So to help me unpack all that, I'm bringing in Seb Maley. He's the CEO at Kudos. Kudos is a firm that specializes in products for contractors, including obviously IR35 compliance. So he clearly is the right person to talk to about this. So Seb and I are gonna unpack uh, really what an IR35 is, what the reform was about, and really one year on, what has been the reality compared to many thought would happen, and also how to use the process efficiently. Very insightful chat with Seb after it. I really, uh, I'm not as panicked by the IR35 as I was before, and I hope you are too. So here is my chat with Seb. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm Seb Maley. I'm the chief executive of, uh, of Qdos. Um, Qdos has been around since the late 80s, um, founded as a tax consultancy and uh, with a, a specialism in status uh, and in particular IR35. So we've, we've uh, dealt with the legislation since it was originally introduced and uh, have been very busy over the last few years with uh, the various legislative reform and changes that we've seen uh, across the landscape. So it's been a very busy period. If you could explain to me, like I'm a teenager, what exactly IR35 is, I think our listeners would really appreciate it. Okay. So um, IR35 is uh, a piece of uh, tax avoidance legislation. So it was originally introduced back in 2000. Um, so, you know, uh, over 22 years ago now. Um, and it was designed to combat uh, what the government felt was um, avoidance of, of, of tax um, by virtue of people using limited companies. So um, anecdotally, what you had pre-2000 was lots of people setting up limited companies to, um, uh, to, to provide services. You had um, people saying that like shelf stackers and so on who are using limited companies to, to provide their services, essentially in the government's eyes to avoid tax. Uh, because at that point, um, the differential between um, uh, what you were taxed as an employee compared to what you'd be taxed as a limited company director was was fairly significant. That's changed over the years, but there is still a differential. Um, so um, in, in 2000, they introduced this legislation, which was designed to combat that. And that put a, um, a responsibility and a liability on the worker um, to uh, A, decide whether they were genuinely self-employed or not, and then B, if they worked as a self-employed um, limited company contractor, they faced the risk of an I-35 investigation and potential liabilities, so all of the tax that they would have paid had they been an employee. Um, so the legislation came in in 2000. HMRC were very aggressive in the first few years. Um, I guess their focus was predominantly on IT um, contractors. Um, mm -hmm. So there was, it was a very, you know, still is a very common way of working, you know, in, in kind of temporary IT contracts for, for people to set up limited companies and, and, to, and to work in that way. 
Um, and uh, in the first few years, they conducted thousands of investigations. Uh, they weren't particularly successful um, in, in doing that, but uh, it, uh, it certainly changed the market to an extent. And uh, and uh, for the last 22 years has, has created that kind of fear, uncertainty and doubt for contractors. And it's always been this sort of sword of Damocles, which has been hanging over them. OK, so you said the initial legislation was 2000 <laughs> and it's 22 years later. There was recently some reform. Can you explain what that was about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it, it, when the legislation was originally introduced, um, all of the responsibility and risk um, rested with the worker themselves, so the contractor mm-hmm. who was providing the services. Um, and that meant that HMRC, had, you know, to, to, to police the legislation, had to investigate individual contractors. And because of the complexity of IR35 um, and the complexity of uh, employment status in general, those investigations took, on average, probably 18 months, um, but often way over two years to conclude. So from HMRC's point of view, whilst um, they saw the legislation partially as a deterrent um, uh, for, for, for people, it was also um, quite exhaustive when it came to resort from, from a resourcing point of view. And obviously over the years, HMRC's resources have dwindled uh, and it meant that the number of investigations that they carried out declined significantly over that time as well. Um, uh, and uh, the, the reform has really been pr- probably, uh, you know, uh, 10 years uh, in the offing. So in kind of 2012, um, they started talking about the potential for changing the rules and, and, mm-hmm. and adjusting them to make it easier for them to police and to to, to, um, to make them slightly more robust. Um, but, but the first significant change that we had in the legislation came in 2017, and that was specifically in the public sector. So the public sector, big users of Contractors, big users of temporary, uh, you know, temporary contracts. There's loads of IT um, and, and lots of other types of, of, of workers who are providing temporary contracts into the public sector. Um, and uh, I think uh, the government felt that that was probably the easiest starting point for them to uh, to, to change the rules. So in 2017, um, they uh, brought in an adjusted piece of legislation which shifted the responsibility for determining the status of workers from the worker to the party that engages them. Um, mm-hmm. So that meant that all of these public sector organisations um, from the 6th of April 2017 had to decide whether the contractors that they engaged were inside or outside IR35. Inside meaning, a dis- you know, they are a disguised employee, as, HMR- as HMRC would say. Outside meaning that they were genuinely self-employed. Um, and, the, uh, and the public sector was uh, quite risk averse, as you can imagine. Um, and HMRC obviously carried quite a lot of clout when it comes to other public sector bodies. So there was quite a lot of knee-jerk reactions um, and a lot of uh, public sector organisations who essentially took these kind of blanket um, determinations where they said, OK, we're not, you know, all of you are inside IR35. We're not even going to take the risk with that. Right. Um there were some outliers. There were some who tried to do things more pragmatically. Um, but And over the course of time, um, I, I guess a lot of public sector organisations have, have taken a, a slightly more pragmatic view and, and kind of uh, lessened um, uh, that, that, uh, that, that kind of risk aversion to an extent. Um, but it was very clear at that point, after that legislation was changed in 2017 in the public sector, that the government's plan was to move it to the private sector, you know, it, right. was, it, it didn't make sense to have two different systems, um, were, you know, operating at the same time. Um, so very quickly after um, the changes in the public sector, they start 
uh, uh, you know, con consulting on how it could work in the private sector as well. Uh, and uh, so we went through consultations, um, and uh, but eventually it was, like I said, very clear what they wanted to do, and uh, they they uh, decided they were going to uh, implement um, the change to the uh, the private sector in April 2020. Um, so organisations had a bit of time to prepare for that. Um, ultimately, that was delayed for a year because of COVID. Right. I was, I was going to say <laughs> April 2020, that's right yeah. after the world fell apart, right? Literally, it was, um, I think, on March the 15th or March the 20th or something like that. that it was so, and, and it was a case of everyone had um, done a huge amount of preparation for it. So there was a lot mm -hmm. of work, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, resource would have been expended in, in uh, private sector companies getting to grips with, uh, getting to grips with the changes. And at the, literally at the 11th hour, um, it, you know, the, it was announced uh, in Parliament. Um, at the same time, everyone's being sent home and, uh, yeah, it, uh, you know, everything was falling apart that, uh, that the legislation would be delayed for a year. Um, so, and everyone kind of forgot about it, I guess, for a few months right. because COVID obviously took precedence and, uh, you know, uh, IR35 was very quickly shoved to the bottom of the pile when it came to, uh, um, you know, to, to, to people's mindset. Um, and I think a lot of people thought that it would be delayed again because obviously, you know, 2021 COVID was still rife and there was uh, still a lot of disruption caused by COVID. So there was a lot of um, calls, but also expectation, I think, that the government would, uh, would either delay or scrap it completely. Um, but they didn't. Um, and eventually it was uh, it was announced, no, we are cracking on with this. We are going ahead with this. It is going to come in on the 6th of April 2021. And that's eventually what happened. Um, so, yes, from the 6th of April uh, last year, um, all private sector um, companies, if they are medium or large, have to determine um, the status of contractors that they engage. Um, so medium or large, what's that? What, what's that uh, employee threshold with that? So that's that's uh, fifty employees. There's ten point two million turnover, and and uh, there's uh, five point one million on the balance sheet as well. So it, it, it's all related to the Companies Act. Um, so there is a carve out for small companies, and if 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 there is a small company, um, then the old fashioned IR thirty five rules still apply. So that legislation still exists, um, and contractors will still determine in their own status in that respect. Um, mm. But obviously, I would say 90-something percent of contractors probably do work for a medium or large company. Right. Um, so even though, you know, HMRC were giving figures that it's not, you know, this isn't going to affect, this is only going to affect, you know, a um, single-digit percentage of, uh, of businesses, but actually on the flip side, 90-something percent of contractors actually do work for a medium or large client. Um, mm. So the majority of contractors have been directly affected by it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been an interesting period since then. Um, and obviously, uh, uh, private sector companies, a lot of them, I think, rested on their laurels. And, and like I said, a lot of them forgot about the I-35 changes. So for, for, for some of them, it was a bit of a rush job, um, uh, you know, in, in, in early 2021 to, to, to refresh their minds and, uh, and get prepared again. Yeah. Thank you for that, that, that description, that, that, that description. Um, it just seems really, really complicated, especially it sounds like there's two different versions, right? Like what you said, uh, a version for the smaller companies and then a version for the medium-sized companies. So we're a year, well over a year into this since the changes happened. On hrgrapevine.com, we've written a couple times about this. It's a very sort of spicy topic to get into. Um, and the feedback that we've seen is some contractors are just totally afraid of it, staying away from it, maybe trying to get back into, you know, a proper payroll job. There's a lot of benefits 
and minuses to both, right? Like as a contractor, I look at it from a creative sort of industry that I'm in, you have the freedom to kind of pick and choose the work you want to do, but then you also have to worry about when that check is coming in. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you know, you can work for a company full time. It might stale out after a certain amount of time. So now that this has been going on for a year, what's been the reality compared to what many thought would have happened? I think uh, in many respects, um, it's not been quite um, as 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 uh, negative. I think as as a lot of con- as a lot of contractors would have would have thought. As I said, mm-hmm. contractors have been relentlessly hit by pieces of legislation over the last ten years. You know, from uh, from you know changes to I thirty five through to changes to dividend tax to VAT, all that sort of thing. So uh, you you can you can appreciate why um, con- you know a lot of contractors would um, feel like you know <laughs> would would uh, be kind of doomongers essentially and think that. You know, this is the end of the road. This is uh, this is going to be the end of my contracting career. But actually, a lot of uh, a lot of private sector companies have reacted fairly reasonably to this. Um, I mean, obviously, we've done a lot of work with uh, with a lot of private sector businesses. That's that's what we've done over the last couple of years to try and make sure that um, you know the the, the 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 rules and the decisions made are um, uh, are accurate, reasonable, mm-hmm. and pragmatic. Um, so I don't think it's 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 um, been as negative as as a lot of people feared, and what we've seen post um, the sixth April last year is that there has been a, 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 a gradual softening of of stances, and I think that's um, in, in many respects that ties in with the demand, particularly in IT um, for, mm-hmm. for for IT workers, and you've really had that sort of competitive environment being built up where um, a lot of companies are making the most of the fact that they're offering outside I thirty five positions, um, and uh, and uh, their peers are seeing that and saying, well, hang on a minute, we perhaps should do something different. So on a daily basis, we're still being contacted by private sector companies who perhaps did take, take a risk-averse approach on day one, um, but over the course of the last uh, last 12 months plus have uh, have realized that there is another way of doing things. So, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, and, you know, we've done surveys and so on, and, and we've seen that there has been a, a, a notable shift in contractors who are working um, inside out, uh, I-35 to outside I-35. So I think that position is, is, is uh, certainly moved in a positive direction. And as you say, uh, f- from a contractor's point of view, most contractors that we work with are in it for the, li- that it's the lifestyle. They like right. the way of working. They're, they're entrepreneurial. They they don't like working as an employee. Um, and it's nothing to do with tax. You know, it's for, right. for them, it's nothing to do with tax. And actually, if you look at it now, you know, HMRC like to sort of, uh, I guess, propagate this um, uh, this uh, this theory that contractors are tax avoiders. Um, you right. know, uh, people, you know, employees should pay the same taxes. You know, contractors should pay the same tax as employees. They actually pretty much do. You know, if you if you if you compare the the the, the tax that a contractor pays versus the tax that an employee pays, when you consider corporation tax, dividend tax, VAT, all that sort of thing, it's pretty much net. Mm-hmm. Um, so so the so the big Chunk of tax that uh, HMRC are really going after is the employer's national insurance. So that's what the employer would pay if, yeah. if if it was a permanent employee. So in many respects, it makes sense for the responsibility and liability to have shifted to to, to the engager rather than the worker. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of contractors are, are quite steadfast in the fact that they just want the, they're not going to take any contracts that are inside I thirty five. They don't want to go back to permanent employment. They they want outside contracts. And I think a lot of companies are starting to listen to that, which is uh, which is positive. So aside from it, maybe taking a hit to your business, um, why would what would be like the sort of drawbacks for a company to say, well, you would fall into this IR35. Why don't we just make you a full time offer? Is it because of that 
uh, national health contribution or like what are the sort of misses that that companies won't? So you're working for us pretty much full time, but not full time enough. Why not just bring them in full time? We've seen an element of um, that. I mean, I, I guess a lot of it is because they're temp- it's temporary work, you know, and, right. and uh, companies don't want to offer full time employment, to, you know, if if the pro- if it's a temporary project, particularly when we're looking at things like IT, business consultancy, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. You know, the the the, the, um, the projects that they're working on um, are limited, um, and therefore it doesn't make sense to have somebody on the books for you know for, for forevermore, as it were. So we have seen some fixed term contracts coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the fixed term employment contracts have been uh, have been uh, a bit of a result of uh, of, of the changes. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think it, you know it may, for, for a lot of businesses it makes sense to engage contractors. Contractors are um, a, a hugely valuable resource because they're expert, they're independent, they come in, they do what needs to be done, um, and uh, you know that's that's why um, the, the markets become so so significant over the last few years. So for a, for a lot of um, engages, I think you know they. they I mean, for, for a lot of them, they've kind of tried to have their cake and eat it. So they, they've still engaged in these contractors, but the contractors are working through umbrella companies. Right. Umbrella companies, and that's obviously a, a can of worms that we could get into. But umbrella companies are essentially payroll companies that, um, you know, so so from the, 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 the engager's point of view, it's still a third party. It's still a, an arm's length resource, but the contractor is essentially an employee of the umbrella company. Um, so, so yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, my, my view is that the market will continue to, to become more competitive. And I think it will continue to soften from a from, from from the point of view of contractors and I think contractors will continue to see a, a rise in a number of outside um, IR35 opportunities that are out there. So if you could write the rules, if you're yeah. in charge of it, what would you do? I think, um, you know, I, I think that there needs to be status is important. You need to decide whether somebody is employed or self-employed. And that's both from a tax point of view, but also from an employment rights point of view. So firstly, it's it's about looking to align those two. And that's not a simple challenge. I wouldn't want to have to do it myself. Right. There's a huge amount of legislation on both sides that you'd have to work through. Uh, and as I said, to, you know, today, the government has set out, have come out and said, now is not the right time to do it. It's just mm-hmm. too much work. Um, but the other issue is in how you determine whether somebody is employed or self-employed. And that's, a, that's again, something that's very complex. So if, you know, when we, when we talk about whether somebody's inside or out, outside of I-35, the way in which you determine that is based on case law that goes back to the 1960s. Um, okay. So, and a key argument there is saying, hang on a minute, you know, we're in 2022 now, looking at how somebody worked in 1968, is not you know it's a different world, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately we still have to use these these status cases to to determine whether somebody's inside or outside, and that means that um, every you know if you look through um, you know, a tribunal a tribunal decision about IR thirty five, or similarly if you look at where, you know an employment uh, an employment tribunal decision about whether somebody is employed or not, it's hugely complex and it's very difficult, and that's one of the reasons why. You see this knee jerking both in the public and the private sector is because organizations just can't get their head around it. You've got these kind of archaic factors that they're having to apply to modern workers and the gig economy and so on. It's very difficult for, for any business to try and get their head around it. And it, it really breeds that sort of risk averse negative reaction to it. And I can completely appreciate why. So one of the things, the other thing I'll do is make the, the tests a lot simpler um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and make it far easier for people to, to come 
comprehend and understand. And I think, you know, going back to the US, I think in some states, that's very much the case. There's like three questions. You know, right. um, uh, uh, whereas with this, it's, it's massively subjective, a huge amount to get through. A lot of it doesn't make any sense. Um, a lot of it, HMRC don't seem to understand themselves, which doesn't help. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, that, that's, a, that, that's a key change that I, would, uh, that I would make as well. Yeah, great. For business leaders, let's let let's talk it from a business leaders, not necessarily HR, but you know, mm-hmm. business leaders as a whole. How can they use this process efficiently? And then after that, how can what advice would you give to aspiring contractors to approach their future? Yeah. I think from a business's point of view, our certainly our key message to to um, to businesses is that it's it's manageable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's entirely manageable, and it's entirely manageable to uh, and, and you can do so. Um, you know, whilst um, you know being risk averse, um, but also being able to continue to engage contractors. Um, and I think uh, you know, uh, obviously, take advice is a, is a key is a key message there. You know, don't necessarily default to HMRC's guidance because it is just HMRC's interpretation of the rules um but uh, but it is entirely manageable and uh, i think for some organizations there has been a bit of a step change in how they see contractors mm-hmm. um you know I, I guess historically um some organizations may have seen contractors as, as just temporary employees and and you know part and parcel of the business albeit on a temporary basis and i think right. obviously that's dangerous because you know i guess uh, whilst i35 is complex some of it is uh, common sense. If you look and feel like an employee, then you probably are one. Right. Um, so, so, so for some organisations, there has been a bit of a change in saying, "Well, actually, no. These guys are contractors. They're independent. They, they, we brought them in because they're experts. They know what they do. We're not going to tell them how to do how to do their job." Um, so I think that that sort of um, mindset change is, is quite important for organisations. But um, once they get there, then it's fine, and you can continue mm-hmm. to can continue to, in, to to engage contractors. And there are various things that you can do to protect yourself. Um, so with a bit of due diligence, um, uh, you know, and, and, and putting a process in place, then you know you, you should be fine. And and, uh, and obviously that will enable you to continue to compete for the best uh, the, the best resources because uh, you know a lot of the contractors who are quite robust in their uh, stance are the, the, the ones with the highest skills and the ones with the right. most experience um, and if you do take that risk averse stance then you're unlikely to be able to uh, to to to, uh, to entice them in from a contractor's point of view I think you know it's, it's, it's a good time to, to to look into it I mean we, we, we're seeing this uh, again sort of globally we're seeing this uh, this boom in the sort of uh, gig economy I think things have come out of the stage recently Recently, saying that you know, in X amount of years, there's going to be a huge shift in the in the percentage of people who are going to be um, self-employed rather than employed, and I think that's mm-hmm. uh, that's something that, uh, that that we will see across the world. Um, so I think that, that, and I think the pandemic probably has has, has really uh, has really sped that up in terms of people you know working remotely and getting the feel for how things can can, can operate in that in that way. Um, so from a contractor's point of view, I think there's there's absolutely a future in uh, in in, in working um, independently, working as a limited company. I think the market is certainly getting to grips with with what they have to do. Um, so it's not all doom and gloom. I think there's uh, there's a, certainly a positive future for anybody who's looking to get into it. And I think the demand there for, for, for workers is really, uh, is really helping now. Well, once again, just want to thank Seb Maley, CEO at QDOS, for really kind of putting me at ease Uh, regarding all things IR35 and the evolution of it and really what's to come. So how are you feeling out there? Are you panicking? 
There's no reason to panic, right? As long as firms are doing their due diligence around IR35, you should be okay. One thing that did stick out to me was Seb's point on how tax status and employee rights are still separate and they really should be combined for a little bit more streamlined process for our contracting colleagues that we use to make our businesses more productive. So once again, big thanks to Seb Maley over at Qdos for helping me with the chat today. And thank you for listening. And I will talk to you again next week.